This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining the To Holland Back podcast or To Qatar and Back for um, another special episode where we're going to be talking all things World Cup and a little bit of the Turkey trip. Proudly sponsored by Six Yards Out and Pearson's Bar in Hull. And we've got our usual Will, who's got, um, well, do you want to explain your, your name for today, Will, for the uh, YouTube viewers? Oh, I decided to go a nice little uh, memoriam of Matata Amasho Doitsu, which I'm, I know you won't understand that, but essentially it means by Germany. <laughs> In Japanese, exactly. So I think that's uh, appropriate because, you know, well done, Japanese, and uh, it's always nice. I mean, I am a 16th German, so I guess I'm a 16th sad about it, but I always forget that. So You're 16th really, German? I, I am a 16th German. My great-great-grandfather was fully German. Um, but yeah, well, I, I don't really care. Um, I have a bombshell. I am actually half French. Half French, really? My mum my is French. <laughs> I'm voting eight French. Wow. My mum is French. Well, that's multiculturalism for you, isn't it? But yeah, and we that have. Is the very... la- and that is the last time I'm on this uh, on this podcast. So. Oh no, no, we we, we don't you, discriminate here, except <laughs> against uh, Leeds fans. Um, so, Alex, uh, you've been uh, on a lot of our different um, episodes already commenting, so we're very pleased to have you in the studio um, today. So, uh, welcome, Alex. I hope you have a great time. How are you thank doing? You. I'm okay. I'm great, thank you. It was obviously uh, good uh, to uh, to see, obviously, all the games in the World Cup and obviously uh, having a talk to, uh, to all of you guys uh, on Twitter, on here. It's uh, great to be uh, part of this uh, on here for the very first time. Well said. But uh, to start with, we're going to have a bit of uh, sad news um, that the, uh, Asem Alam, the former Hull City owner, has passed away uh, today at the age of 83. And of course, he had a, a very rough time uh, later on as the Hull City owner, especially when it passed on to Ihab Alam, his son. But we do want to, um, you know, uh, say rest in peace because of course he's done a lot of good s- things in the city um a lot of um i can't think of the word but hopefully one of you two will jump in sort of um, well, um without him in 20 what was it in 2010 2011 we'd have gone bust to be fair to him and we'd probably be in the same situation situation as someone like grimsby or scumthorpe um without him coming in and obviously there's a lot of there's there's many negatives you can say about him of course but you don't want to dwell on that on a at a time like this at all but you can look at the fact that with him we've had two promote we had two separate promotions to the Premier League we uh, got to an FA Cup final and we got into Europe and we I know it's a slightly lower than that but we also managed to finally win a league title as well in his final full season mm-hmm. as an owner and obviously there's pl- and of course if you just ignore what he did with Hull City he's done plenty of good 
around the actual city of Hull itself. So there's there's plenty to be celebrated about him. It's not a time to dwell on the negatives. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Oh. I I agree with um with Will. I think that um you know before he came in, I think Paul Duffin and, and Russell Bartlett they kind of overspent a little bit. You know, obviously with the time in in the Premier League, then he comes in and I think the club were actually you know from what I remember sailing quite close to the wind and could have ended up Very in a similar situation to Portsmouth almost um, at the time. And he comes in, he kind of puts the money in to kind of steady it, and then goes on to invest actually to get the club back to the Premier League, brings in Steve Bruce. And uh, so for the first kind of five years, you know, great success. But then, you know, unfortunately, you know, as I say, maybe because he's someone who PR side, media spotlight wasn't very that comfortable with it. So some of the comments just, you know, from a media perspective just didn't go go too well. But I think as it has been said, you know, in terms, I mean, I, I, I don't live in, in Hull, but in terms of the city, I've seen people online today saying, in terms of hospitals and stuff, you know, paying for like treatment, you know, and stuff like machines, hospital machines. There's like a ward, I think, that he paid for. So significant contribution that I think he made. And so hopefully that will be the legacy that's remembered in terms of the good things that he did rather than necessarily some of the petty comments that might have upset people. Mm -hmm. Certainly, there's a lot to celebrate um, about what he's done with the club and the city in general. Um, you know, we had our we had some of the worst times, but also some of the best. So, um, mm. I think it's important to look at those positives. So, Asamalan, rest in peace, has passed away at the age of 83. However, some good news for us England fans: England have topped the group, and that's the title for our episode today. Drawing with the USA, which was a very boring game, but then a fantastic 3-0 win against Wales. And I think it was really important that we had a, a, a positive result after that really drab 0-0. Um, I think, uh, Will, have you seen one of the goals? Has there been a goal somewhere? Or are you just no, laughing no, I'm just laughing reason? at the content. I was laughing at the sound of Wales being eliminated. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I have a few Welsh friends and uh, one of them I can get away with being mean to, but the other one um, that I live with, uh, he's a bit scary. So I, I've been trying not to... Um, you know, annoy him too much about it. Uh, he says he doesn't really care about football, but I think when uh, you know Wales went out, he, he was a bit miffed. But uh, yeah, a I fantastic think, result. I think you know Wales will be disappointed because well, I mean obviously they'll be disappointed, but I think you know because it took him what sixty four years to get to the World Cup, and I think you know what is kind of the really surprising thing is that um, uh, you know they uh, they just let it pass them by. You know, there was no effort there, really. Or, you know, I mean, I saw you say, Will, that it's almost like on one of the games, Gareth Bell wasn't even there. Um, Nothing you was know, there on any of the games, was yeah, it? Yeah, just was just dis disappeared. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, if you're a team where you're just beaten by the better sides and you try hard, then you can hold your hands up. But I think, you know, when you just let the occasion get past you and it's like, you know, it just runs away from you. You know, I think they're going to be very disappointed with that because I think that, you know, they could have done so much better, especially against Iran, certainly, that game. They were just awful. Um, that was absolute top quality of you in that match. Yeah, I love that. the Iranians pound them for the entire game. Father was going to get away with a point and then suck a punch right at the death. I mean, Iran could have got like five goals in that game. They should have mm. absolutely hammered them. But well, same with the mm. USA in the first half of their game. Yeah, they should have they should have been out of sight against Wales. I'm a bit disappointed. I'm very disappointed with Wales because they do have some decent players. But I think they're. Just, I think Wales there, are kind of like the uh, almost like the kind of less version of Belgium, where it's like there's too many players there. I think now that are just past it now. Mm -hmm. You know, 2016 mm. I think was like the high point for Wales, but now I think you know the likes of Bale, Ramsey, Joe Allen, maybe just past their peak now and... their last attempts at a tournament yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it seems like uh that's the case for a few teams and um, the two you've mentioned and then also uruguay who've gone out as well both mm -hmm. cavani and suarez are 35 now those are their star players and and, and they're gone as well so yeah but yeah. what you said wales it passing by they didn't play to the best of their ability that's probably the most disappointing thing for wales yeah. but then i mean england didn't play definitely anywhere near uh, where they could have done against um, America. But three goals uh, and three really good goals against um, Wales, I thought. Um, yeah. Rash Rashford, um, 
a fantastic free kick, top corner, <clears throat> and then another uh, fantastic Maisie dribble. Um, Ward, the goalkeeper, should have done much better with the third, but uh, that does give Southgate a huge um, selection issue because Rashford yeah. and Foden and Saka and Sterling and Greenish have all scored from the wide positions. So, um, I mean, I suppose they're not the best thing was seeing Foden start from the beginning. So, uh, Will, what's your view on this? Who, who should be starting against Senegal well, um, on those wide Ramsdale. positions? <laughs> I think not. Jordan Henderson. <laughs> um, oh well, I think it's it's a it's a it's a problem, but it's the it's a problem you want essentially. If all your wide players are playing well, you want to you want to have an embarrassment of riches. I think purely because they had such a good game most recently, I'd be definitely start. I mean, Foden, every, Foden should have been starting from anywhere from every game, um, but because he's got those two goals so recently, and they were especially the freak, it was of such a high quality. Ah. I can't really go against dropping anyone from the most recent game, mm. which is a shame because I, I don't like Jordan Henderson, but I can't really disagree with him being kept in the side. Yeah. But what about you, Alex? I think you perhaps keep it the same. I think Rashford is an absolute banker to start. You know, he's yeah. in the absolute kind of top, top confidence. You know, you can see he's he's enjoying himself. You know, as I say, as they've been saying, I think on TV, he's got a smile on his face again. He's he's just enjoying it. Um, I think that you know, even with Harry Kane not scoring, you know, he's providing assists. I think he's the top assist provider. So even when he's not, and I think Jeez, that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. You know, because at the last World Cup, you know, it was so reliant on Harry Kane to score the goals, but now this it's been spread out amongst the, the team, um, which is very kind of good to see that it's a whole bunch of different people who were amongst the goals rather than just relying on one centre forward to do it. Um, in terms of Phil Foden, yeah, I think for me that would be the toughest one to kind of choose because I think, you know, you could bring in Saka as well, potentially. Um, and in terms of the midfield, I think, yeah, I think against Senegal, you could go with Henderson again because I think, you know, that experience, that leadership there alongside Rice and Bellingham, you know, obviously Bellingham really young, to have someone of his experience, Henderson, alongside him, I think that could work really well. Um, and, you know, we saw obviously what that brought to the game against Wales. And I think, again, against Senegal, that could uh, that could do really well. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think it's a very difficult decision. Um, I've seen some people suggest that Saka's probably, he offers more defensively. That the mm, other forwards perhaps don't have, and of course he's played, I think, left wing back and left back for Arsenal a lot, mm. um, especially when he was younger. Um, so I think perhaps you'd put Saka in, but I, th I mean, in a way, there were five substitutes, and if if things are going well, then Southgate's made a good decision and uh, we're winning the game, and then you'll probably want to rest the players who've scored if they do play well against Senegal, so they'll be subbed off later. But then if we aren't doing well, he's got the option of, you know, the five substitutes off the bench. You could play another one or two of those attacking players that he hasn't ch chosen. So really, in a way, um, perhaps it's not the, the biggest issue to get it right from the, you know, the first From the get-go, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that's what, a possibility. What is interesting, sorry, what is interesting about this World Cup compared to the last one, you touched, Alex touched on it, was how... You see, we have relied on Harry Kane to sort of score a lot of our goals. We relied on set pieces a lot at the World Cup in Russia, but almost, almost all of our goals, apart from there was a free kick against, almost all of our goals now are from open play, which shows a progression of the way we've been playing. I do think we are a better squad than we were in Russia. Oh, absolutely! It's by far, a better squad than we were in Russia. A better squad than we were in the Euros, but it's just, I think it's going to be a tougher run because of France to get further in the competition yeah i think we are playing a more fluid system i mean i was surprised that we were playing 4-3-3 and then again uh it, it's strange that we are scoring so many goals as you mentioned that kane hasn't scored yet but, in the tournament. yeah we well exactly we're joint with spain i think we've both got nine but then most of theirs were against um costa rica, costa rica. Uh, and then they've struggled for goals since then but uh yeah, we've scored two goals from nine from set pieces and most of them have been kind of better moves um, and, you know, great passes from Kane and that sort of thing. So it is exciting to see. But it's just a bit surprising, really, that we've changed tack 
so much uh, from the way we've scored goals previously with the um, the set pieces and we've gone this more attacking system now. So hopefully we do keep that way into the knockout stage. Whether we do that against France, I don't know. I mean, we, we may not end up playing France um, at all because, I mean, they've got a, a mildly not that tough game against Poland really in the round of 16. But I'm praying Poland do win because I think we've got a better chance. But uh if we if we're able to outscore France, which is difficult, but if we're able to do that rather than sit back with a back five, I'd be much more enthused about our our chances. Yeah, I think I think a part of why we're so good in the way we play football is it's the midfield. Whereas at the Euros, it was mainly Ling not Lingard, um, Rice and Phillips, who were both mm-hmm. more deeper defensive players. And I think at the World Cup we was playing like I think in that semi final I'm pretty certain we played Lingard Henderson and I think it was Ali was it from oh, no. No, from the start I think it was Ashley Young maybe yeah the they were playing Ashley yeah. Young at like left back I think yeah in the last World Cup which shows you how far they've come really yeah oh yeah it, mm-hmm. it was a very weird. It was, well, let's be honest, 2018 was unexpected. I think we, none of us expected to get that far in the first place. And I then 2020 20, was I think, more... I think 2018 was kind of like they were ahead of schedule in, in terms of oh, what they expected to do, way ahead. No one expected that, especially two years after what happened against Iceland. Mm. People were probably thinking, you know what, maybe they'll get to the last 16. If they do really well, they'll get to the quarterfinals. I'd but, have been happy with the quarters. Yeah. I mean, there were some people joking that, you know, they probably wouldn't even beat Panama Tunisia after what happened against Iceland. But, yeah, that was way ahead of schedule. And we so, did uh, struggle past Tunisia as well. We used yeah. last-minute winner mm-hmm. came in. That, that Kane goal was uh, it's so important looking back at that. I mean, if we'd not uh, got that goal, we maybe we wouldn't have gone on to have such a good World Cup. And then, um, you know, maybe Southgate wouldn't be still in the job. Uh, some people would argue that's a good thing. But with just how many shocks has been... And uh, we're the only one of very few teams to uh, one of these big nations who hasn't lost a game, uh, you know, and, and we're joint on points with Brazil and Netherlands have done well as well. Um, it just shows how difficult it is to get through that group stage. Mm. Um, and I think we've done very well to get seven points. I would have liked nine, but we've got the momentum um, and it's good that we've won a, a game uh, which should have been a tough game against Wales. I thought they... Again, they didn't play very well, but I was very surprised in Wales because they knew they had to they had to score a few goals, and they seemed to play a formation that suggested we'll just sit back and hope we can sneak something on the counter. Problem was they then lost their main attacking outlet, Gareth Bale, who didn't do anything anyway at half time, which meant they had to really push forward, which is why England really opened them up is because they had to go forward. And um, just to touch on the USA game briefly, I think a part of me thinks the reason that was so drab, the way that we played. And I think it's part of what a lot of people don't like about Southgate and I don't like about him, to be honest. It's, I think, obviously, you'd seen Wales, Iran. Wales were buried at Iran won. And he could he could tell that a draw would probably put us through the group regardless because of the way mm-hmm. that Wales were playing. And I think he was playing for the draw. He shouldn't have been. I, I, I hate, he's, he's, it's the problem with Southgate is he's too cautious. He's mm-hmm. way too cautious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why... The nil nil. I mean, USA deserved to not lose, to be fair, because they were fantastic against us. But that's one of the issues I have with, I, I have with Southgate going forward. I'm, I'm worried when we get in the knockout rounds, they'll start being too cautious again. Mm. Yeah, I'm a little scared yeah, we might go to a back five against France. I don't think he can do that against Senegal. But uh, Alex, what's your view on Southgate? Because everyone else on the podcast uh, mentioned what they've thought of him over the last few years. But What's your view generally? Um, well, I think, you know, when, uh, you know, Will just said about him potentially playing for the draw against the USA, I think actually the commentators during the Wells game actually said something quite similar because I think that, you know, he's a manager who's very much about how it looks, about the optics, about how people view things um, because he kind of mm-hmm. knew, I think he knows about that, how people would look at that USA game and think, well, okay, draw's not the end of the world. So we'll just take that, we'll move on to the next game, but we have to win against Wales. So I think he knows about what's acceptable, what is unacceptable in terms of what people, how the public would respond to kind of certain results and certain performances. And so that's why I think, you know, he's kind of 
not too fussed about a nil-nil against the USA because, you know, looking at everything else in perspective, he's like, yeah, that's, you know, we'd want to win, but that's not the worst of it. I think, you know, for me, what kind of, you know, makes me a bit, I mean, of course, you know, I'm not, you know, I think he is, you know, maybe there's better people out there to manage England, I don't know. But the one thing that really kind of frustrated me a little bit before the World Cup, certainly looking at, you know, the Euros last year, was looking at the Lionesses and seeing the contrast, you know, with their manager, who in a final at Wembley, instead of sitting back, then went and attacked again. Yeah. And then they ended up, I mean, it's a completely different set of players, but nevertheless, you know, that tactical brain of thinking, we're not going to sit on this, we're going to go again and get, you know, get a winner rather than thinking, you know what, we'll just try and hold on and, and kind of see what happens. And I think, I hope that, you know, he learns from that and thinks, you know, let's not just sit on this, let's push when we're in the ascendancy. That's the one frustration I have with him. Push when you're in the ascendancy. He didn't do it against Croatia. He didn't do it against Italy. And I think that maybe another manager, we would have certainly probably won the Euros if they'd done that. Mm-hmm. A part mm-hmm. of me really kind of wants Serena Veeman to be the men's boss. Mm. I-, I would love it just to see what would happen because she's such a good manager at a national side. She did it with the Netherlands for the women's Netherlands team and she's done it for England as well. I'd love to see because it would be a very unprecedented thing as well, having a female international manager. Actually, the manager of Canada, the manager of Canada actually managed the Canada women's team as well. Yeah, he did. Mm. And yeah, that's, that's more common the other way around, isn't it? Yeah. The way around quite, quite common. It's, it's women into the men's game. That's the, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the line that needs to be crossed. It would certainly, um, you know, uh, cause a lot of talking points, wouldn't it? That would certainly I'd be, be all for it. Because mm-hmm. she's she's clearly a very good manager, a very good man, man woman manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, person manager. Yeah, yeah. Pe- people skills, good people skills. There yeah, we go. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I I think it's an interesting point because I believe that um, managers in international uh, football, especially for the men's game, aren't really like even the managers at the top clubs. I mean, Roberto Martinez was the manager of. The, one of the best um, squads, you know, in uh, in recent years in the Bel- in the Belgian Golden team, generation. and he's managed uh, Swansea and, and Wigan before, and uh, fairly um, not a very good time with Everton and Southgate. You know, he he didn't really do much um, in a club career as a manager, um, and, and various other names as well. That uh, always seems to be that always seems to be a very strange appointment to me. How on earth Martinez was randomly a, 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 appeared as Belgian manager? Mm. Just and Sean Maloney as well as an assistant yeah. coach. Thierry mm-hmm. Henry is the assistant with Sean Maloney. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a weird setup. Um, it, you know, it, I, I wonder. As well. It goes the other way as well because the German manager is Hansi Flick, who's had a fantastic time as Bayern Munich manager, mm. and now they're at the World Cup. Mm. Yeah, so maybe that's just not the sort of thing you need. But uh, I'm I'm not really sure whether. Because I know Pochettino said he, he would he would be open to the England job, but and Tuchel. I, mean, I suppose that doesn't um, that actually makes my point invalid that these top managers don't see international management as a a big draw. Maybe they'd like to say that, but they wouldn't actually want to do it. But a lot of the managers in international football haven't really done much in a club career. Well, I mean, the one thing I will say about Southgate, which I do definitely give him credit for compared to any other England manager that I've seen in my lifetime is the fact that, well, obviously the fact that, you know, it's been better results than anyone I've seen, but also the fact that when we've seen before, I think that, you know, in terms of the just the bond amongst the players, you know, the fact that there's been, you know, the golden generation when you had Gerard Lampard, Beckham, and, you know, Gary Neville was saying it, the fact that, you know, they're all sat, you know, together, Man United players, Chelsea players, Liverpool players, they're all sat at the same table. Yeah. They didn't, you know, mix with each other. They're all in their they're own cliques. But you see at the training ground that they're all together. They're all friends with each other. So I think, you know, That's... they've done a, a fantastic job. You know, you can see all the videos online that, you know, they're all kind of a unit together. So to create that bond and that unity amongst them, I think that's a, that's a great testament to him, you know, and the kind of the whole setup. So I, I'll, give the, I'll give him great credit for that. You know, mm-hmm. that's a great job he's done there because there's so many other managers... I mean, you look at the mess, you know, with Capello, what happened there. 
you know, yeah. and the success Capello's had in his career, but still with the England setup. Yeah, as a club manager, he's amazing. Locked them in, in like some prison in South Africa for a month or something where they couldn't even have a drink or something. So, you know, it was some other managers have just done an awful job in trying to bring them together and it just hasn't worked, but he clearly has found the formula for it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that is the thing. When it was the gold, the golden generation, as everyone calls it, um, it was a team Another of individuals, one. whereas now mm-hmm. it feels like an actual team. They are more than they are more than some other parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's probably them. the problem that Belgium have had because it's a team of individuals, Belgium, not an actual functioning yeah. unit. And that's why we've seen them probably at this World Cup. You know, De Bruyne said they were too old. Then I think Alderweireld or something responded saying, "Well, we don't get much help at the top of the pitch either." And they started like bickering with each other. Yeah. They, and... they started doing what the Dutch or the French would normally do and have a meltdown. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Seemed very French at, in uh, the French team, what they did in South Africa. It seemed a bit like that. And mm-hmm. De Bruyne is the, yeah. the, the captain, isn't he? Or Courtois the captain, but they mm-hmm. hadn't spoken to each other. Now that doesn't bode well. well you can't imagine. I mean, if you know, you know. It's a bit deeper than just what's happening on the pitch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't imagine uh, Pickford having a, an, a big argument and falling out with Harry Kane. That's a very England golden generation thing as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how do we see this round of 16 game against Senegal going? And uh, um, I'll, I'll ask it again. I don't know whether we got the actual answer, but who would you play the side of Harry Kane? And I'll start with you, uh, Will. I'd stick with Ferdinand Rashford. Mm-hmm. Why? Don't fix what in broke. Don't fix what in broke. Fair enough. Uh, and what about you, Alex? Yeah, I'd, I'd go the same. I'd say uh, Foden and Rashford, um, you know, if, if those players are informed, if they're confident, if they're happy, then go for it again. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's very interesting in terms of Senegal is that in terms of the midfield, the midfield would be very interesting. Maybe we'll get onto that in a minute, maybe not jump the gun. But um, Idrissa Gay um, from Everton is suspended for this game. Mm-hmm. He is, yeah. He's so, a key man. So the midfield will be very interesting. And so maybe they won't have that same strength and steel in midfield. So they lose a very key anchor there. Um, so, you know, you want pace, you want people to really make it difficult for them. So perhaps that will play a part in it. But yeah, I'd go with Foden and, and Rashford there. Yeah. Um, I may well go with the same, but that just seems a bit boring because you two have said it. But uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Sterling, I think Sterling Greedish, I'm not sure about them. Uh, maybe Southgate likes Sterling. I think they're great. They're off the bench. Yeah, I think so. I think especially Grealish off the bench would be exciting. But Rashford is the joint top scorer at the at the uh, tournament, and Foden. You know, there was people praying that Foden would play, and then he he did. He played really well. I just well. get the feeling that Southgate's going to go Sterling Kane, uh, Sterling Kane, Rashford. I just have a feeling he's going to bring Sterling back in. I wouldn't hear that. But I mean, he scored. He's a good he, player. He can rely on mm-hmm. Sterling for the most. He's normally been able to rely on Sterling. I wouldn't blame him if he did. I just think those two scored the goals. I wouldn't drop him after they've scored a goal. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But I think it was not their confidence a little bit. But I think Rashford is definitely showing he's scored two great goals. So, uh, yeah, I'd do that. And then probably keep the midfield relatively the same. Although, um, uh, I don't know whether we said it um, during the podcast, but before... Alex, you were um, criticising me for jokingly saying that Mason Mount is going to be the player of the tournament um, at this World Cup. So I guess we'd have to play Mount. You'd have to play for that to happen. But uh, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but someone's got to win it. And Mount, he's still at the World Cup. Yeah, someone has to win it, just just not him. Yeah, it's the same chance as any other player, I think. Yeah, the same chance as Ryan Longman of winning it. Not quite, because Longman isn't in the squad. Yeah, precisely. I mean, I suppose if Mason Mount scored that tricks in every game now until the final and we win it, I'm maybe giving tournament player of the tournament then. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, hopefully that does happen. And uh, what about a score prediction for the round of 16? England, Senegal, uh, you uh, you go first, Will. Oh, see, I think this game's going to be a lot tougher than people are expecting. I mean, obviously there's not many people who were alive for it. I wasn't even, but... To me, it has the vibe of that game from Italia 90 against Cameroon, where I think a mm-hmm. lot of people went into it expecting, it's Cameroon, England will be fine. Yeah. Cameroon with them winning with five minutes left. Um, and it took a couple of penalties from Lineker and slightly dodgy decision penalties. 
Um, but I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough game. I think I think we'll just sneak by it. I think we'll. It'll be. I think they'll score. I think it'll maybe be a two-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go with something relatively similar. I mean, I, I think I think it'll be a tough game, but not as tough as you think it's going to be. Well, because I, I believe in England. Oh, and, okay. Um, yeah, exactly. I hope so, and I think they're missing Gay and uh, Mane um, means their squad quite isn't isn't quite as strong. Got, still got a good defence, but I think we'll have enough. So two uh, nil. Um, but yeah, Lineker said that the Cameroon game was very tough, and that uh, one of their scouts was saying that they had a buy in that tournament basically because exactly because they were a new team. A lot of people just overlooked them. But the big Argentina yeah. in the opening game of that tournament who were defending champions, I don't know why. Yeah, but a lot of the, our own players have played with Mane and uh, Gay and Kudavali and Mendy. So, th- I mean, even though some of those aren't playing, they know that Senegal are a strong side. So I don't think we'll be uh, as arrogant going into that. But what's your score prediction, Alex? I think it'll be 2-1. I think, you know, obviously we'll mention the Cameroon game in 1990. I think this could actually be more very similar to the 2018 game against Colombia. I think it could be very yeah, kind of... more better retro, recent comparison. I think it could be quite very nitty, very physical, kind of very a game where they have to really yeah. grind it out. Um, it could, you know, as I say, Senegal could maybe get a bit kind of dirty, a bit kind of physical, um, you know, could maybe get a bit frustrating. You know, I don't think this is like an Iran game where they're going to put six past Senegal or anything. You know, now I've said that, they probably will. But I um, hope so. Um, they're not going to give England the space, are they? They're going yeah, to they're gonna make it very frustrating, I think. And so it's one of those games where if you are going to do well in a tournament, if you are going to be successful in a tournament, um, you're going to have to have that composure. You're going to have to have that patience, um, you know, to get over the line. Um, there's always that one game in a tournament where, you know, it gets a bit frustrating and you have to kind of see it out and grind it out. And I think maybe this is the game where that's the case um, mm-hmm. to get over the line. That was the case with obviously Colombia four years ago. And uh, hopefully this one won't go to extra time and penalties. Hopefully, yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, can't good, take it. I'll take a penalty win now if you gave me it. Oh, I'd take it. Everyone will take a penalty win if yeah. you can actually win it. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think this could be um, this could be a battle, but hopefully I think England will have enough to just get over the line. OK, so I've gone 2 nil, and you two have gone 2-1 England two wins. One, so okay. hopefully one of those uh, is going to be correct. 1-0 Senegal. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be quite like that. But uh, I saw someone yeah. mention uh, in the comment Ismail, Ismail Assar as well. So, you know, yeah. even though Mane's not there, they've got Ismail Assar. I think they've got Ilaman and Dai, who's had a very good season for Sheffield United so far this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. How is Saar How is Saar still in the championship? I don't know. Mm. Um, you know, that's the thing with championship clubs who get relegated who get relegated from the Premier League now with the parachute payments, you can afford to keep them. You don't have to have the pressure to sell them anymore. I just don't uh, get why any player hasn't even why no one's offered big money for him. I think Panis tried to sign him, but they like thirty million for him, but they Watford turned it down. Yeah, it's power of parachute payments, but we're not going to talk about that now because we'll just go on about it on and on. But, uh, um, Will, you're our non-England uh, team correspondent. Yeah. So uh, what's been the, the biggest surprise, uh, biggest shocking twist of the World Cup so far? Well, there's, there's been multiple, to be fair. Um, I mean, obviously, we've talked about Wales being shite, but um, I think... Argentina managed to come back from the dead because obviously when we last we've had mm-hmm. two group games now since we all yeah. last spoke about them, um, they obviously lost to Saudi Arabia, but they managed to get past. Well, Lionel Messi managed to get past Mexico, and then Poland didn't turn up against them. But I think the first big upset really was the Aussies. Um, Absolutely, I don't think anyone expected them to get anything over the bottom of their group. Um, but they beat Denmark, obviously. They beat Tunisia in the second game, 1-0. They deserve to. And then, obviously, I think a lot of people were expecting... Denmark were probably a dark horse coming into the tournament. Mm, yeah. um, and they have flattered to deceive. I think, Denmark are probably the, uh, I think Denmark are probably the biggest disappointment um, for me in this tournament, even more than Wales, because I think Denmark... I mean, I said, you know, with all the injuries France I like had, Denmark. I'm with you, yeah. I think since... Uh, 
you know, since uh, with all the injuries France had, I thought Denmark would probably top the group ahead of France. Well, in the Nations League, Denmark they beat, beat twice. twice. Yeah. And so yeah. I thought I thought maybe even England, it could be England-Denmark in the quarters instead of England-France. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, huge disappointment, especially after, obviously, the Euros getting to the semi-finals. I don't know what's happened there. I, with, think with I, I get the feeling, in hindsight, Euro 2020, the team, because of what happened to Christian Eriksen, it sort of, they just went to another level. Mm-hmm. And I think and that's nothing against Christian Eriksen's ability as a player because he's a fantastic player, but they just couldn't click at this tournament. I think, I'm not sure what was up. It's weird because against, against France, they actually looked okay at times and it looked like they were going to get some out of it. Yeah, I think maybe Denmark going out a bit similar to Turkey at the Euros. Um, because of the Danish results against France in the Nations League. I think oh, a lot yeah, I remember everyone going over Turkey being the yeah. dark horses. A dark horse, Denmark are going to finish above France, and that was a, the sort of trendy thing to say. And then, uh, you know, similar to Turkey at the Euros, out bottom of the group. So uh, Denmark uh, going out and Australia going through uh, only for the second time, I think, in their history. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time since last time, is it? Exactly, because they'd only had their first win um, since 2010, so I mean they've won two games, um, even if they don't uh, get past uh, past Argentina in the round of 16. You know what? Um, I could see a shock there. You know, I, with Tavir, I could see Australia doing something there. It well, would be incredible. Australia will will shit out the as much as possible against the Argentinians, and it could very easily rile them up. Yeah, they, well, it could be. The problem with the problem with Argentina is they've got Lionel Messi. You can't really ever go against them for that sole reason. Mm. But then Messi hasn't really, he's not performed in the knockout stages of the World Cup. Neither Ronaldo or Messi has scored in a knockout stage. So, yeah, maybe Australia do have a, a, a very small chance. But even if they don't get through with the two wins in the group stage. What they've done is amazing anyway. Yeah, this is the best they've ever done because the last time they got through, they uh, had four points and this time six points. So well done to them and delighted for the whole City Australia podcast because they're very good. Yeah, thanks and, Delighted for them. Yeah, Alex, so, Alex good lad. Yeah, so that's Denmark um, and Australia. The other thing in that group as well, of course, is Tunisia beat France. I don't know it was a second string to an extent for the France team, but mm. there can be a risk doing that, that you can mess up your momentum completely by deciding to just to twist it all. Throw a um, game. Yeah, you essentially throw in the game, which they didn't want to do because if they, if they really wanted, if they weren't bothered about throwing the game, they wouldn't have brought on Mbappe and Griezmann towards the end. Mm. Um, but he nearly paid off until VAR said, no, you're wankers, you can go away. Yeah, I think it throws a little bit of doubt into the French. So hopefully uh, Poland can capitalise that. Um, but yeah, Poland are through on a disciplinary record. They had five yellow cards as opposed to Mexico's seven. Oh, well, it would have been that. It would have been Mexico. that. Saudi Arabia scored a very late goal. They conceded, but oh. they essentially went through because of the that yellow card. There was a brief period where if Poland had got two more yellow cards and the games had stayed as they were, they would have mm. had to withdraw lots. Now, I so was upset that didn't happen because I want to see if yeah. you could try and justify that. And that's yeah, the I first mean, time since like 1978 that Mexico haven't got through to the knockout stages. Yeah, they do it yeah, every they've year. They've always been a perennial at least round of 16 er yeah, they always get to the last 16, and like Switzerland, they always just get to the last 16 and just get knocked out. Mm. The, the, mm. They are, I think, I think they're the most successful team to never get to the semi-finals. Mm. So they've, they've, they've obviously got that history in the tournament in general. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was uh, somewhat of a surprise, but then it was surprising to see Poland get beyond them because it seems Poland always underperform um, at tournaments, uh, Lewandowski uh, especially, of course, he missed a penalty. He had nothing to do against Argentina, hardly got the ball, then did, you know, uh, capitalise on a mistake against Saudi Arabia. So um, for England fans and, and for me, I'm hoping Lewandowski has a good game against, uh, uh, who are they playing again? France. And then that means England, if they do beat Senegal, which I think they will, uh, we don't have to play France. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a much tougher run than the last two tournaments. We have uh, Ukraine and Denmark. I mean, at the World Cup, it was, um, you know, Croatia, we should have perhaps got past them. And then Colombia, Sweden. So I suppose Southgate's had a bit of a, a, a good run of uh, luck 
with those draws, but um, doesn't seem to be the case. Um, but then Belgium going out, we've mentioned a little bit already. That's I mean, you've, you've skipped a group there, Nathaniel, Group E. Oh, we're going back to The right. greatest group in World Cup history. Well, let's um, mention that last, shall we? Times. Let's mention that last. Ooh, so, look at Belgium. Alex, okay, shut up, Will. Alex, what do you think about Belgium going out? Oh, I'm just surprised for them. They told someone else apart from me to shut up. Um, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I actually kind of predicted this actually before the start of the tournament because I think that, um, you know, it's it's a team which is very much, I think, on the wane. Um, you know, yes, De Bruyne still, you know, very much at, at the peak of his powers in terms of Manchester City. But, you know, Hazard obviously has had a torrid time at Real Madrid. Lukaku, obviously terrible in terms of his return at Chelsea, and then obviously he's been injured at Inter. Um, really, you know, the defence, Vertonghen and Alteveyrold, you know, very much, you know, kind of in their like late 30s. So I think four years ago, you know, in Russia, that was the moment for them in, in terms of if they were ever going to do anything, like that was the time, but you know they ended up losing by I think the odd goal against France in in the semi-finals then. Um, but that was like, and, and I think really I think what kind of has done it for them is the fact that there's that almost like that frustration amongst them. Like we've blown mm -hmm. it. We had that opportunity to do something in the last ten years, and we've blown it. And you can see that on like De Bruyne's face, on Hazard's face. Like we generally, you know, could have done something with this group of players and we just haven't taken that opportunity. And I think that's just boiled over into a frustration that's just culminated in, in this huge disappointment in this world cup. And I think, you know, Belgium will continue to produce decent teams because, you know, I think it's a country that will always have good players coming through. But I think really in terms of the level that we've seen, maybe not that same level, perhaps, compared to, you know, getting to semi-finals or ever yeah. for maybe quite a while. Yeah, again. Anything to add, Will? Yeah, I think the two tournaments at uh, Euro 2016 when they got to the quarterfinals and they had Wales, and that's nothing against Wales. Wales were great at that tournament, but Belgium should have beaten them. They should have got through to the semis. They'd have played Portugal, who, could have been them. to be honest, had the luckiest tournament. I don't know how the hell they won that tournament, but... Well, Belgium they only won the one game, Belgium didn't they? Belgium should have won it. Belgium, Belgium should have won. Belgium should have got to the final at least in 2016, and then obviously yeah. in 2018 they played France again, and that's another one where it could have gone either way really. Mm -hmm. That was a tight game, wasn't it? But, but yeah, Belgium. I I didn't think they'd go out. I didn't think they'd win the group, though. I thought Croatia would win the group. Mm. Um, that's I interesting. Second Belgium. Um, I certainly did not expect Morocco, who I've probably, I don't know if they've been, because I, I didn't even think about, whereas there's other teams that were like, Morocco kind of have been under the radar, even though they've still won the group, they've still been a bit under the radar. I yeah, mean, I think probably because... When they, the, Belgium, when they played the, Belgium, they were fantastic. Absolutely torn to pieces. The story's been more on Belgium, I suppose, than Morocco yeah, doing well. And a bit when the group started, it was a bit on Canada because of the way they played against Belgium. Mm. Um, and yeah. were very, very unlucky. Belgium that, didn't even that, deserve to get Belgium anything against got, Canada. Yeah. Mm. The fact that Belgium even got a win is incredibly lucky, really. Mm. If they played it, if Canada had a decent finisher up front, they'd have absolutely hammered them. Mm. It's surprising though that, uh, I mean, I, I think in a way, the Belgium and the Croatia group. Uh, whichever group that was, then uh, letter-wise, that was F. Thank you. And um, that was the one with the two teams who, you know, had done well in the past and got to the semi-finals uh, or the, the last World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, but you then, know, De Bruyne, he just looks done. He just looks done with the national team. He just looks yeah. like I've had enough of this, and that's the problem with them. So many of those players just look like they've had enough of it. Mm. I imagine that would be the case with Croatia as well, though, because they've mm -hmm. got a lot of old players. But then Modric seems impervious to ageing. So I suppose mm -hmm. they're going to keep going on. And uh, they're going to be playing uh, Japan, who is the 
Are they the surprise team of the tournament, Will? My favourite team of the tournament. Yeah, go on. Do, do a five-minute uh, rant about how good Japan is. five-minute rant? Um, I was however long you want. I just love the way Japan play. They just seem to... Like, what's been funny with them is the first half of almost every game, they've not had a good time, which is quite funny. They've never looked... in it. And then the second half, they'll bring on players like Ritsu Doan, who will just... They'll, they'll step up their energy. Like It seems like they're, they're playing the first half almost every every game in like second gear, and every second half, they seem to go up to fifth gear. Hmm. And they're the most confusing team at the tournament as well because they beat Spain and Germany and lost to Costa Rica. Yes, madness, yes. isn't it? And, and both yeah. uh, came from one nil down to win in the second yeah, half, which is even more games. impressive. And I don't know which one was more. I mean, I suppose the Spain one technically was more impressive because Germany was shite. Um, mm. But well, Spain have looked fairly decent at this tournament in the first well, two games. You see, I said the, the first game, Spain looked great. They looked fantastic mm. against Costa Rica, and they looked well. Costa Rica looked appalling. But then the last second two games, the second and third games of the group, Costa Rica came out of nowhere and looked like a threat. I mean, again, mm. I know they lost four two to Germany, but every time they went forward, they looked very, very dangerous. And it's almost a bit of a shame that they didn't go for it. There was that that those two games when they were on the other night, the Costa Rica Germany and the Spain Japan games. There was a period where I think when Costa Rica went two one up for about three minutes, where Spain and Germany were both going out. And it might have been the best three minutes of the World Cup, I think. I believe it was 75 seconds. I think that's what it people was, have said it is. It was, it was because the first, there was about, we had about between 75 seconds and about three minutes, just because I know the, the Germany's equalised within the 73rd minute. Mm. Costa Rica's mm. goal was in the 70th, I think. But that's, oh, okay. I'm not 100% on that. But A very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Very short amount of time. It was the all the permutations that came out of that game, the, the constant switching of the group. I think the the reason I don't know what to say about it, it was just it was so ridiculous to watch. Go on, Alex. I think the reason why we're seeing kind of maybe teams like you know Japan, Morocco, you know South Korea today, of course, you know maybe we'll talk we'll talk about Group H in in, in a minute. Um, how, how they've managed, you know, Australia managed to kind of surprise, you know, a lot of these teams, especially the European teams. As I think that, you know, a lot of these, you know, I mean, when you looked at the groups when they were drawn, you know, Germany, Spain, everyone thought, well, that's a, you know, a done yeah. deal. Germany, Spain mm-hmm. going through, Belgium, Croatia, done deal that those two are going yeah. through. I think, Portugal, you know, Uruguay, maybe. Yeah, I think there was that just, you know, I think for a lot of these teams, there was just too much complacency. You know, they didn't really know too much about, you know, perhaps these, other teams, you know, only a handful of them maybe played in Europe. So they thought it's going to be, you know, a walk in the park. And maybe that's something that England have got to be careful about against Senegal um, as, as well. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, it shows you that actually a lot of these teams, they're a lot better than the FIFA rankings suggest than, you know, the, um, I mean, well, the FIFA rankings. I don't know how Belgium are ranked. Belgium's them. the second best team in the world. Yeah, Belgium's been ranked like second for the last six years. First and they haven't been been years. for a few years. Yeah, mm. but I mean, it shows you that you know you can't underestimate anybody, and you know you've got to turn up and you've got to perform because you know there's going to be a lot of banana skins out there. Mm. Do you think maybe the structure of this World Cup, seeming that there hasn't been that long build-up where teams can really uh, get to know each other Definitely and build a system mm-hmm. that maybe, rather than the, the good teams with the better players fitting into that system over like a three or four week period, learning how to play together, that's not been able to be, you know, that's not been possible. So do you think perhaps the, just the spirit of these uh, sort of um, un, or less favoured sides has been more important, Alex? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that, you know, if you, you know, the kind of the, the unity, and I mean, that's why Belgium were all over the place, because, you know, they just did not have that bond, that unity. They just, you know, were at each other's throats. So if you've got that, you know, bond, if you know each other well, if you know what works, if you know exactly how, because, I mean, you know, you look at like in this country, Premier League finishes and then just over a week later, the World Cup starts. You know, I think, you know, I saw a thing on Sky with Gary Neville. He said, normally you have about a month 
or three weeks between the end of the Premier League and then the start of the World Cup, where you have about even maybe a friendly, a couple of friendlies for the team before the tournament begins. Um, So you can maybe tinker with a few things in a few friendlies before the actual games begin. Um, But, you know, if you're a team that knows, you know, you've got it down, you know how you play, you know what players you want, the players know each other. Um, Maybe a lot of the players play in the same league. You know, England's interesting because obviously exception of Bellingham, they all play in England. Um, So a lot of the other teams, they're dotted all over the world. Um, So they they don't necessarily, you know, they're not with each other a lot necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if you have players in Japan or in South Korea who play, you know, alongside each other in Japan or or South Korea, you know, Saudi Arabia, they all play in Saudi Arabia and they, they know each other, you know, inside out. And so they go and beat Argentina maybe that's an advantage rather than people who just don't know each other that well, apart from when they join up with a national team and they're just trying to, you know, kind of get in there quickly and try and figure it all out kind of off the cuff. Yeah. So now let's look at Germany for a little bit and have a good laugh at them. Um, That's two World Cups in a row that they finished. uh, Is it not bottom of their group, but um, have been finished finished bottom, didn't they, in 2018, but they finished Mm -hmm. third. Mm. This one. And then still knocked out. And then round of 16 yeah. at the Euros uh, got through a very tough group, um, but uh, we beat them. So uh, what's gone wrong with German football, Will? You know what? I'm not sure because when you look at their squad and the players mm. they've got, they should be favourites for a tournament. Well, it's not German football favorites. then because the players are still very good. They have a good manager, but the national team, it seems yeah. like it's gone it doesn't make any sense, really. Because, like I say, manager, fantastic manager in Hansi Flick, he's, he's been a very successful one at club level, at least. And I think the record at internationals relatively all right. Um, there are players, when you look at the players they've got, they're still fantastic players. I mean, some of them are, I mean, most of them play for a major, almost all that squad plays for a major club. But he's saying that probably the best player at the tournament was Nicholas Fulcrum who plays for a mid-table side in Werder Bremen. Um, I'm not sure. I can only think that there's something up in the up in the hierarchy somewhere, maybe. And the mentality of the German team, for, you know, high up. Because that team shouldn't be as poor as they have been. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a very interesting point. Sorry, uh, go on, Alex. Oh, Cameroon scored, have they? Yes, I, I I I was being a bit flustered. Cameroon have gone ahead against Brazil, so I was I just you. about to, I to start you. talking about that group um, and what that means. What's but Switzerland uh, There's still a few things um, undecided there. Maybe Switzerland, if they concede, oh, Cameroon yeah. will be through. And um, if uh, Switzerland score, if Switzerland score one more, they'll be above Brazil. Um, it's Brazil, Switzerland, Cameroon on four points, and Serbia. Oh, so Switzerland is still going through. At the moment, they are. So that's very exciting. Oh, okay. Well, that's really doing Tunisia. That group. Oh, okay. Well, oh, Germany was what we were talking about. Mm. I think Germany don't really know what their identity is because you've still got a lot of no, old no. players, yeah. but they've got a lot of young players as well. You know, you still have some of the people from 2014 who won the World Cup, like Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer. So, you know, Mario Goetz is still there, I think, as well, coming off like the bench. But they've got, you know, young players like Musiala as well. So it's kind of trying to find, like, the right um, the, the right blend. Um, that's going to help their chances, isn't it? Yeah, um, we just uh, stopped because Abubakar, who scored the winner for Cameroon, has been sent off for a second bookable offence by taking his shirt off. So if they were to get through, uh, he would not be in the round of 16. But uh, talk about Germany's uh, identity, uh, Alex. Yeah, so I, I think that, um, yeah, they they don't really know. Are they going to be a team like England that are going to bring all the young players through and maybe kind of shoehorn out kind of the older kind of World Cup winners from eight years ago? Or are they going to have that that blend? Um, or is it a case of maybe Joachim Love was more influential than actually we, we knew and that actually, you know, with him gone, that, you know, it's kind of, I mean, Hansi Flick was his assistant, I think, but, you know, maybe that kind of influence, because he was, what, 15 years, the manager, Joachim Love of Germany. Yeah. I think, was there for, I think he was there for too long. Yeah. So, I, so either it was a case of he overstayed his time or either actually because he was there so long, he had such an influence, almost like Sir Alex Ferguson, that 
whoever comes after him, it just isn't, you know, it's just maybe too big a shoes to fill. Um, especially, you know, someone who won a World Cup. Um, so it's it's interesting, but I think it's a very transitional time for them and they've got to kind of figure out what they're going to do. It's interesting because obviously they're hosting the Euros um, in 2024. So it'll be interesting to see what they mm. bring on home soil because obviously Germany, when they hosted the World Cup, they turned it around and got to a semi-finals. Um, so maybe being, you know, just like England really at Euro 2020, maybe them hosting the tournament might bring something out of them a bit more to kind of give it more of a, of a better show. It is mental to think that Joachim Lohr joined the German setup just after Euro 2004. Mm. It just shows you that, that longevity. It's a long time. He was he was the assistant to, to a Jan Klinsmann until after the 2006 World Cup mm-hmm. um, and then became the manager, obviously, after that. But that's a mental time. To, long time. In international football, it's very rare that you're in charge for that long. I'm not yeah. saying anything. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> let's let's look at some of the round of sixteen fixtures. Um, or, or do we want to mention uh, one last thing? We'll go into the round of sixteen fixtures. Uh, Uruguay have been knocked out by Ghana, but then Ghana have been knocked out by Uruguay. Yeah. So Suarez. Yeah, I guess. But uh, um, so no last laugh for Ghana or or Uruguay, but Suarez has been given a, a some. For for Suarez, yeah, crying because yeah. doesn't seem like the nicest guy, uh, which is putting it, uh, you know, very politely in a way. Are you engrossed by the uh, goings on in the live yeah, matches? Yeah, well? between Serbia and Switzerland. Sorry. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, well, let, let's move quickly on and just uh, give maybe our predictions of how the round of 16 is going to go. So we think oh, okay. England are going to beat Senegal. Uh, the mm-hmm. other match uh, next to uh, that is France against Poland. I'm assuming we're all going to think France, the reigning yeah. champions, will go through there. At the moment, yeah. Yeah. I would well, say so, um, yeah. I'm hoping Lewandowski can actually play well in a a knockout game. I'm not sure if, if he's ever actually done that for Poland and really performed. I know he scored. But then if, if Poland um, beat France, then clearly there's something about them. So they'll certainly be a very tough test for him. Something to worry about, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, whenever, um, especially when uh, Sweden... Oh, no, that, that's not really relevant. But, uh, yeah, if, if a, a poorer team on paper does beat a France and England get to play a, a poorer team... It's not that much easier because, of course, they've been able to perform against a, a strong team and perhaps could cause an upset against England. Uh, the other one, um, well, is well. I mean, I can't say any that have uh, teams from the group that's still remaining left. But uh, what about Netherlands against US, which is uh, tomorrow's kickoff? I think Netherlands will probably. I think it'd be a do narrow win for the Netherlands. Sometimes. Yeah, narrow win. I agree. It would be a narrow win. America yeah, although we have seen before, defense. like the Netherlands really kind of have a wobble and crumble in the last 16. Like we saw with the, mm-hmm. them against the Czech Republic at the Euros, just out of nowhere, have just throw a wobbly and yeah. get knocked out. So I wouldn't be surprised if the USA turned up and did something because the Netherlands can have a really good group performance and then just yeah. lose it in the knockout stages. But I do think the Netherlands will yeah. have a bit too much and get a win there. Mm-hmm. They have haven't done well in the tournaments they got to the final uh, 2014, have they? So uh, mm. I think you know, it'd be a big opportunity for them to get through. Yeah, uh, I think Argentina, Australia. I think um, yeah, it should definitely be Argentina getting through there. It should be. Um, yeah, Jackson Irvine out. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps his best opportunity to score his first knockout goal at a World Cup, and then. Uh, Spain, Morocco. I think Morocco clearly can can play well, but I think that could be quite close. Might edge that maybe in the penalty. I think Spain should just about get it done there. I feel like Mm -hmm. there's going to be an upset somewhere. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah, just hopefully not in the England Not a bad shout. Uh, And then Japan, Croatia. I think that could be quite even because. 
Croatia have got good players, but you know they're aging. I'm not sure they can go the distance. And in Japan, they can play very well. So so long as they go one 0 down in the first half, I think Japan might win this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Will, but I think Croatia on that one. Oh. I, I think that if Japan do go through against Croatia, it will be perhaps on penalties if they do. Um, but I, I can't see Japan. You know, I think if Japan go through, it'll either be like a narrow win in extra time or one penalties. I can't see it like being a mm-hmm. 2-0, you know, because I think Croatia defensively are very solid. So I think it'll be very difficult for Japan to break down. Um, so, and, you know, I think Croatia should perhaps uh, have the, maybe with someone like Kramaric or people like that, Perisic, to be able to, you know, with the experience they have in in the knockout stages, you know, to be able to sneak past them. But, you know, Japan could pull off something on, on penalties. You never know. I think that's probably the most uh, tight uh, mm. uh, knockout game there is. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure who I think could go through there. But the uh, last group has just finished. Um, Portugal will be playing Switzerland. So what do we think about that? Because I think Portugal, they look decent, I think. They'll get through. What about you, Max? Uh, you say that. I think the, the, the Swiss, again, are one of those teams that I don't think they can, on their day, they can have great performance, but sometimes they can be. They, yeah, because like they didn't play well against South Korea today. It, it depends on what Switzerland turns up, I, I think, because, you know, we've seen yeah. Switzerland before, like the last World Cup against Sweden, it was just kind of mad. But, you know, you look at the Switzerland that we saw against France at the Euros. Um, exactly. And if they turn up like that, then I think Portugal could be, you know, have a real difficulty. I think it could be very close. It depends what Switzerland we see. Um, Portugal you know, very hit and miss as well because I mean against yeah. Ghana, the, you could argue against Ghana, they, they should have equalised Ghana mm. really at the end. I think that could be very close. I think that could be the most kind of 50-51 I think potentially, um, the one that's most kind of up for grabs. But I would still probably think perhaps Portugal because I think they have more options if it doesn't go their way. They can bring on, you know, they brought on people, you know, they can bring on various different people. Perhaps you know, João Felix, Bernardo Silva. They've got options I mean, there. They can have Ronaldo just claim he scored a goal as well. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose he has, you know, to have someone else do that for him, uh, you know, to actually score the goal. But, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe if he bribes refs, he can just claim he scored one from, you know, wherever. And then the last one, South Korea against Brazil. I think maybe uh, Brazil just lost well, to Cameroon. Well, South Korea say, just won. just happened has just changed my mind about this. Well, exactly. I thought Brazil were going to guarantee to win it. But South Korea have already beaten one Portuguese-speaking nation. Maybe they'll go for a second. So this I mean, is I'd, my I'd love to see South shock. Korea win. I'd love to see South Korea win. But I just think, you know, with the sheer amount of options Brazil have, if something goes wrong for them, you know, they can bring on a whole new attack, can't they? Mm. So, you know, and I think Brazil, what's very interesting with Brazil you know, I mean, obviously, apart from tonight, is that, you know, they're patient, you know, they're not, you know, going to be worried if they go into a game at halftime, nil-nil, you know, they'll wait and they'll wait and, you know, we'll wait, you know, for a moment from like Charleston or right up until, you know, with Casemiro, they'll, they'll take their time, you know, because they know they've got the options they can bring on and, you know, to get it done because they've just got so many people that they can, they can utilise. So if they do have a bit of a sticky situation against South Korea, they will have people they can change the game with. So I think, you know, if even if South Korea put in a great performance again, I think Brazil will have enough just because of the sheer options that they have to uh, to score goals and, and create chances. Hmm. Yeah, but I think all of the uh, games uh, look pretty interesting in their own way. Maybe Argentina, Australia is the only one that... I think most people will agree on what the result's going to be, but the others, most of the other potentially weaker teams have, have pulled off uh, a shock. And then I guess uh, Senegal haven't, but England can always, you know, underperform. So it's going to be an interesting round of 16. Um, I don't think we've got much else to mention, but uh, does anyone else want to mention anything about the World Cup? It's been a, a great group stage. I was going to say, I was about to say, I, I, well, I think football quality-wise, it might not have been the best World Cup so far. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of just pure drama, it's been by far 
they're easily the best group stage I've ever seen in a World Cup. It has been and I'm good. It continues. Yeah, I think the group stage started off slow. There were a lot of games that were nearly on at half time, but the last the last round of matches has been fantastic. From the second from the second match day on, once every team had already played a game, that's when he started mm. to kick into gear. You know, upsets, there was a couple of upsets early on, like Saudi Arabia beating Argentina and Japan beating Germany, but particularly the last couple of games, the last couple of days, the group stages have been. Mental. And maybe that's because a lot of the players are at their peak fitness. Because they're not tired, because you know they've been already. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why we're seeing better quality. Well, not better quality, but more entertainment. Because maybe a lot of the other games in the group, if it was in June, July, would be slugging a bit, and they'd be just a bit kind of, just kind of just scrappy one nils, and they'd just be a bit kind of tired a little bit. But now we're seeing people just going for it because they're right at the peak of their fitness in the middle of the season. Absolutely. But it's been a delight to talk about it. Um, hopefully mm. we'll be coming back next week with another England win and a few more uh, surprises to talk about. So thanks for joining, Will, and thanks for your uh, fantastic debut performance, uh, Alex. Hopefully you can come on again, mm-hmm. perhaps, or, uh, and you keep watching after this. So uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, you know been liking and uh, voting, uh, subscribing, commenting, and all that. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week to hopefully be talking about another England win. So thank you for listening and goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.